Uh, our passage for this evening, as we've just read, is Matthew 4, 23, uh, chapter 5 to verse 2. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom. He's going throughout Galilee and teaching uh, in the people's synagogues and he's healing people. Um, and through the rest of the sermon, he's saying how his disciples, how people will know they're his disciples. And when I read this passage in the rest of the sermon, I was thinking about how when you walk down the street, you can tell certain people and what they do and what they're going to do that day by what they're wearing. Um, various examples of this, uh, the emergency services. So you walk down the street and you see a man with police written across the back of his shoulders. You've got a fair idea who he is, what he's doing and what he's uh, working as. Um have a pretty good guess at tourists in Edinburgh, armed with selfie sticks, cameras, maps, big bags, and walking around the city centre, and they might ask you for directions. Um, people working in building sites, will be wearing high-vis, hard hats, carrying tools maybe, driving vans, and various other examples that we can, we can maybe think of as well. But as you walk down the street, what I was thinking is... It's hard to tell um, who a Christian is. Um, we don't wear a uniform. We don't carry any specific equipment. Uh, we don't drive vans that say on the side, I am a Christian, here's the company phone number to phone us up to get us out to do that job. Um, so we don't have any really identifiable marks usually when we're walking down the street. But as I said, in this passage and going forward, Jesus is saying, this is how you'll know who my disciples are. This is how the world will be able to tell that you're one of my disciples. Um, and what he's saying is, he's the king and he's proclaiming God's kingdom. Um, and he's telling the people who hear him, uh, coming to mankind and telling us not how to live but he tells us how to live and demonstrates why we should live this way and why we should listen to him and why this message from this king should affect us and the other people that we share it with as well. So by verse 23 of chapter 4, as the passage starts, um, a lot's happened already in the life and ministry of Jesus. Most immediately he's been baptised by John the Baptist. He's been anointed by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, like I'd said, and tested by Satan. And in that passage, we see a lot of sort of similarities between um, Jesus being tested by Satan and Adam and Eve in the garden. But unlike Adam, crucially, Jesus emerges from the wilderness, having overcome these trials and temptations. And that is a further proof of who he is, as this king, as this uh, person that we should listen to and then from coming out of the wilderness where he's had all these trials and testing and tribulation and difficulty to put it mildly he comes out and in verse 17 just previously in the chapter if you look there it says and it tells us what Jesus is proclaiming in a sentence it says repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near so this is what Jesus is preaching and teaching in Galilee, as it says in this verse, in verse 23, repent, meaning to turn from sin, and by doing that, and in doing that, turning to God. 
it's not just a case of stopping to do certain things, but it's a case of stopping doing certain things and starting to do other things, starting to see things differently uh, and starting to follow a different person rather than ourselves, starting to follow God. And repent meaning to ask forgiveness for our sins from God and by doing that, coming into his kingdom and under the rule of King Jesus, as we read about here. So Matthew tells us Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of heaven in three ways. In verse 23, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and by healing sickness and disease. And I'm just going to look up the three of these uh, just now. And then at the end of the passage, towards the end, we're going to look at the response of the people then and how this should impact and inform our response now to the king. So as Jesus taught in the synagogues, he was going into the Old Testament background to who he is and why he was telling the people to repent and why he came. In the Old Testament, God had given the Jews, the Old Testament people of God, commandments and laws to live by to show that they were his people. He gave them certain parameters and ways to live. And as we read through the Old Testament, we see time and time again that they couldn't keep these laws and commandments and couldn't live up to the responsibility that they brought. They were sinners and broke God's laws and commandments and laws. And we, like them, are sinners and break God's commandments and laws that he's laid down for us as well. But in light of this, God always had a plan to send someone, a perfect person, who would keep all his commandments and laws perfectly and would rule his people Israel and he would represent them in front of God. And this person is Jesus, this person that the Jews are are waiting on in this passage or should be waiting on is Jesus and he's finally coming to bring in the perfect rule of God. And this is good news for the Jews then as the people of God waiting on this promised king and the non-Jewish people there and also for us. When we trust in Jesus and when they trust in Jesus, when we repent of our sins and believe what Jesus says and what he has done in coming, dying, rising again and ascending to heaven, then our problem with sin is dealt with just like it was dealt with when people back then believed. And because Jesus God is God's perfect promised king who lived perfectly, <clears throat> I'm repeating myself, um, then with that we are brought into this new life where we can properly and fully glorify God by entering his kingdom and living in this new way and living for him. And then Matthew tells us in the next verse, the next part of verse 23, rather, that Jesus went out proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So the last part was in synagogues, where he's speaking to the people and arguing with them and showing them from the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, um, the proof of who he is and why he's come. And then he was going out round the various towns and villages and the open countryside and speaking to people and teaching them as well who he is. Um, for this, it's important sort of to know a bit of the geography of the passage and what we're reading. So Galilee is in the north of Israel. It's a fairly small but densely packed region at that time with about 3 million people in it. 
Um, and Jerusalem, um, importantly, is in the south of Israel. Jerusalem was where the leaders of Judaism, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, which we read about in other parts of Matthew's Gospel, and other parts of the Gospels, um, teach and live. And that is the centre of Judaism. That's where the important people live, the trendy people live, the cosmopolitan people live. Um, and they didn't think very highly of Galilee up in the north. They sort of thought of the Galileans, both the Jews and the Gentiles, as like country bumpkins. They're like less educated, less trendy um, cousins up there who just don't know as much as we do down here in Jerusalem. They don't know as much. They're not as well educated. They don't know as much of their Torah as, the old, as they don't know as much as us about the Old Testament and all these sorts of things. So the people in Jerusalem aren't really thinking that this promised king who they've been waiting on is going to be going up to Galilee of all places. He, they're thinking he's going to come to us. Like, we're the people he really wants to speak to. We're the people that know the most, do the most. We're the best. So when these people encounter Jesus in Galilee, they're like, this can't be him because he's not going to come to Galilee to these people who don't know as much as us, who aren't as good as us. But, and this is sort of like Edinburgh and Glasgow, I thought. Like, this difference, this, like, rivalry that they've got going on. Some people think Edinburgh's better than Glasgow when actually, you know... So there's that rivalry there. But this is where Jesus did come. Uh, and I was thinking about this. And this uh, view of theirs, that Galilee wasn't as good, that Galilee was where the uneducated sort of country bumpkins lived, that should encourage us and shows us part of the point of the passage that Jesus came to like an ordinary, normal area and spoke to everyone he encountered of all kinds of walks of life and backgrounds and was speaking to Jews who knew the background of what he was saying and knew the Old Testament, and to Gentiles who had no idea, who had no background. And he was saying the same thing to all of them and explaining it the same way to all of them. And he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he's coming to save all sorts of people. And that carries forward to today. Like he's not come to save the people who know the most, who live in the trendiest areas, or anything like that. He's come to save normal, average, everyday sinners like me and like you. And the person who's writing the book as well sort of shows that. Um, Matthew is one of the disciples. He's written this gospel. And for those who don't know, he's a tax collector at the time for the Romans. So he's essentially like a bit of a collaborator with the enemy. And he's understandably not a popular person, not a popular kind of person at the time uh, when this is being written. And that reinforces this point that Jesus came to save all kinds of people. And that shows us that Jesus has come and thrown the kingdom open to both Jews and to Gentiles. Whereas before in the Old Testament, the kingdom was really for Jews and they would the Gentiles would come. But actually God's king, God's promised perfect king has come. And he's come close to Jews and Gentiles and come to where they are to find them. And likewise, he's come close. And this has been written in this way so that we can see this picture of the perfect king who's come to find us as well. So the gospel can now 
with Jesus coming and being proclaimed like this can go out to every kind of people and King Jesus can save them and they can come into the kingdom as well now. And that's why we're here this evening and that's why every other church in Edinburgh exists and preaches this message today uh, that does preach this. It's not through anything in ourselves, but it's through this message in the Sermon on the Mount and through the Gospel and how it's gone out from there to save all kinds of people. And with that, these people who are hearing Jesus, these people who are gathering to him to hear his message and be healed by him, I've heard all sorts of things. Um, They're hearing from the Jewish leaders how they're supposed to live and what they're supposed to do. And they're also hearing from like pagan philosophers. And that Galilee, again, with that is like... Edinburgh in the 21st century, like we're hearing all sorts from all sorts of people about what we should believe, why we should believe it, and what we should do. But Jesus is coming and telling them something totally different. But he has real power and real power to impact and influence lives and change lives because he is God's son, this perfect king who's come. And with that as well, this isn't self-help. And this isn't like go away, change yourself, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and then come back when you're worthy of this kingdom because we can't ever really be worthy in our own right of this kingdom and of its king. Jesus is saying this, these things, but he embodies it and he's done it and he has completed it. And so this has been done for us by him. But importantly, that's not to give us like license or like freedom just to do whatever we like once we believe, once we've repented and things like this. This is still comes with a responsibility and it still comes with a duty to this new king because Jesus does want our lives to be conformed to this message and conformed to what he says here. But that change and that new moulding and that new worldview that new outlook is done through the holy spirit so when we we believe when we repent we receive the holy spirit and then through the holy spirit indwelling us working in us and reshaping our hearts and our minds and our lives themselves that grace-driven effort that is required to do these things that jesus is saying because otherwise it's impossible it's through grace through the grace of god that Jesus has come and that the Holy Spirit is sent to dwell in us. And then in the last part of verse 23, we see that Jesus was also healing the sick and the ill who came to him. So this is a further sign of Jesus' power. Like He's speaking to them, he's sitting down and he's preaching to them and he's arguing with them in their synagogues through the Old Testament about who he is, why he's come and what he's come to do ultimately. He's also healing them and taking care of their bodies. He's not just interested purely in their minds and their hearts and their souls and these things, but he's also interested very much deeply in the individual people who come to hear him. He cares about the whole person holistically. He cares for their souls and their bodies. And this healing is a show of God's power and a show of who Jesus is, that he is God's son. It's a confirmation of all that. But also it's an important foretaste of what it's going to be like 
when the full reality of God's kingdom has come. So the king has come and he's bringing the kingdom with him. But as we look outside, as we read our newspapers, as we turn on the news and the TV, we see the world is not perfect. So although we talk about God's kingdom, just now in this sermon and the following sermons, and how Jesus is God's king, we can see that God's kingdom has not been fully established because the world is still imperfect. But this is a foretaste, this is a a show, a hint, a glimpse of the glory and the perfection that's to come when the Lord Jesus returns and fully brings about God's kingdom with him. All the sickness, disease, suffering and hardship that we suffer now in this life is going to be wiped away, it's going to be gone and it's going to be because of this king fully bringing about God's kingdom properly. Where we won't grow old and all these things will be an unpleasant memory. So as part of our response to this king and his kingdom as we live out our lives as believers and as the disciples of Jesus as well as preaching the gospel and proclaiming it in the various and many ways we can do that uh, around the dinner table and over coffee with friends and at the bus stop and wherever else we're speaking to people and we're sharing our lives with people we also need to care for their physical needs their bodies and the other parts of their lives because that's how Jesus cared for people that's how Jesus ministered and served people and there's various ways I was thinking we can do this there's a lot of things that go on here at the church individually we can get involved in other things other projects like basics bank here at church and that can be by coming and volunteering or that can be by donating both in terms of finance and money and in terms of food because that is a really worthwhile ministry that the church is involved in that cares for people's bodies where we also get to look after their souls by sharing and proclaiming the kingdom with them and as well, a while ago I remember that Graham was speaking about social isolation work that's been done round about and in the community in Edinburgh. It's a big problem. A lot of people are cut off from society and cut off from their local community. And that's something I was thinking of that people can look into and maybe the church at large, not just Brunsfield, can make an impact on. And that would be a very worthwhile way to look after people, both their souls and the other aspects of their of them. So, and um, my second point tonight is this is the message of Jesus, this is what he said, this is what he did, and this is who he did it to. And then with that we see a response from the crowds and also Jesus in this is asking for a response from us. And he's asking, Are you going to listen to me, listen to my message? Are you going to try and do it? And are you going to take me as your king? And he's not looking for like a maybe or a question mark. He's looking for a yes or no. So as we look further through the passage, down, down in verse uh, 24, it says, News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So at the beginning, I had said how we can walk down the street and recognize certain people by what they're wearing. 
We know who they are, what they're going to be doing, from what they were, such as emergency services. But I'd said we can't usually identify a Christian just by looking at them. But the proof, like they say, is in the pudding. The pudding being how we live as disciples, how we live as Christians out in the world. Do we really live the way the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is going to call us to? Is Do we live the way the Lord Jesus is calling to? And do we live the way the Lord Jesus calls us to in this short and brief passage? John Wesley once said, which is quite helpful, the gospel is not only something that you believe, it is something that you behave, which is a helpful summary. Again, I want to just reiterate and reinforce it's not about self-help. It's not about improve yourself. It's not about get up earlier, go a run, swim, you know, get fit, read the whole Bible in the original languages and do all these things. It's about coming to the king, sitting at his feet, taking him as your king and obeying him, but not through our own efforts, but through the Holy Spirit and this grace-driven effort. So Jesus has been saying to these people, Jews and Gentiles alike throughout Galilee, and anyone who is coming to him to hear him and whoever he's encountering, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's appealing to them to believe his message and to act on it. He's speaking to heart and mind, body and soul, and wants this holistic, whole person life change on entry to this kingdom. And as I said, in verses 24 and 25, we see the response of the people. Matthew tells us the news spread quickly about Jesus in every direction, north, south, east and west. And all sorts of people were coming to him from all over. People were coming to him and he healed them from all their diseases. And then at the end of verse 25, it tells us that crowds followed him. Again, from all over, not just Jews or people uh, from Galilee, but all over Syria, the Decapolis, Peria, which was on the other side of the Jordan. These were sort of pagan places that didn't have any sort of knowledge of the Bible or the God of the Bible. So clearly this shows us that Jesus, then and now as our living king, as the son of God, is different from the other teachers that were around at that time and around about now. He has real power. He has real power to impact, change lives. So an interesting thing about this is that we see the crowds come. Jesus sits down in chapter 5, verse 2. They listen to him and they're healed by him. But later these crowds, some of them anyway, will be in Jerusalem during the week of his passion and will be have a hand in his execution. The crowds abandon him, including his closest disciples, four of whom are here as we read it in, in Matthew, to hear the Sermon on the Mount. So this shows us that this message that Jesus is proclaiming and what it leads to is not easy. It's not something to be, to be taken up lightly. And this proclamation of the kingdom by the king is not to be taken on or listened to lightly and is going to call for real radical living, real radical change and real radical discipleship that is totally like against our own nature, against our own thinking, and our, against our own view of 
everything, the very world around us, ourselves, who we are and who God is. <clears throat> this King, Jesus, is not saying these things to impress people or sell anything or for his own gain. He's here to call people out of rebellion, out of sin, to follow him into new life in his kingdom. And if we say we accept this out of anything other than faith and to truly worship and follow God with our whole lives, then we haven't taken on the full responsibility of this kingdom and its king. Jesus has done these things for us, but again, this doesn't mean we can just come for the many benefits like some of the crowd did. Some of the crowd came for the benefits. They got the main one of healing and then we can assume that after they heard this message, after chapter 5 verse 2, that they left because they didn't like what they heard. They didn't like this king. They didn't like this kingdom because it was too hard to follow, too hard to listen to and too hard to do later. But we mustn't make the same mistake as these people, as these crowds. We're seeing a clear picture of the king and his kingdom. And we mustn't mock this king and his kingdom by listening to this lightly and not fully taking it on and fully understanding the full ramifications of what we're hearing and who is saying it to us. Jesus doesn't say, like other kings might, again, here's the deal, here's what I'm offering, but here's what you need to do. He's not saying, go away, sort yourself out, fix yourself up, wash yourself off, and then come back to me when you're worthy of me and my kingdom. He says, here I am, here's my kingdom, come into it, receive me as your good king who's done all these things for you, who's given himself for you, and take on the responsibilities of my kingdom, which will be difficult now, but will pay great dividends in the future for all the people, us those people back then and all the people throughout history and in the future who will take on this king, who will repent and believe and take this king on as their king. So, uh, another couple of minutes, we'll close and then there'll be a coffee break and then some discussion and prayer time. So this sermon series, like we thought about, is going to be tough to listen to because the message of the Sermon on the Mount is completely countercultural here in Britain and abroad, everywhere it's been shared, everywhere it's been proclaimed. But through it, we are going to get to know King Jesus and his kingdom better. This passage is the beginning of this revolutionary king and his kingdom. This is his first proclamation as the king. He's taught the people and shown them how he is this promised king from the Old Testament, sent to live God's way and rule God's people. Through his preaching, we've seen that he came to save people from all backgrounds and the door to the kingdom of heaven is being thrown wide to include everyone, Jews, non-Jews, people who have a background in it and people who don't alike. And we saw a mixed response from the crowds, from loyalty to disinterest and apathy as some came, listened and stayed and then others departed once they'd enjoyed the benefits of it. So going forward, we're going to hear the demands of living as a Christian and we're going to see what it will mean to be identifiable as one of the subjects of this kingdom and the subjects of King Jesus. So these are the questions uh, I'd like you to discuss just now in your tables.
what worldviews are people hearing and believing today? So thinking about the things people here in Edinburgh and elsewhere are hearing about that are different from what we're going to be hearing about later in the Sermon on the Mount. And what are the differences between these worldviews and the worldview of this king in this kingdom?